Why don't you turn in them to the uh, Gospel of Mark? Mark chapter 13. And we'll be starting today in a bit in verse 33. Well, for those of you who are visiting with us, we have spent the first uh, seven weeks of our amphitheater service for 2011 this summer. We spent the first seven weeks looking at what uh, heaven's going to be like. Last week, we focused on, you know, that other place, the word which you wonder whether you even dare utter these days in public, uh, the H word, the place that we call hell. This week, we'll see how we should then live in light of all that we've been seeing for the last eight weeks. We'll see, as I've called this sermon, how to live with vitality in light of eternity. How to live with vitality in light of eternity. I told the story a while back about the time Satan asked his upper echelon demons to come up with the three false doctrines that would do the most damage to God's children. One said, well, just convince them there's no hell. And Satan said, that's great. Let's put that on the short list. Another said, no, convince them that there's no heaven. And Satan said, well, that's great, too. Let's have that one on the short list as well. Well, a number of others came up. But finally, the one that took the cake that was first on the short list came from the last demon to come who said, no, just convince them that there's no... Remember what it was? Hurry. Yeah. So important is our hope that the greatest damage to God's children has been wreaked by three false doctrines, all of which have to do with the doctrine of our hope, that there's no heaven... No hell, no hurry. Knocks the feet right out from under the Christian faith. So important are these things. Um, We've been talking about for the last eight weeks that the Bible is literally packed with teaching about it. In fact, for every one verse on the atonement, on the death of Christ, there are two verses on the second coming of Christ. For every one verse on the first coming of Christ, there are eight verses on the second coming. Which is why Paul said, it is in hope that we have been saved. Not in realizing the American dream here and now. Not in having it all now. But hope that is seen is not hope, he says. It's not seen. Where lies the problem? It's unseen. And so it's, it's easily forgotten. How do you live with vitality in light of eternity? Well, the first thing is this. Number one of seven, we're going to see. We need to stay awake to these things that we've been talking about for eight weeks now. Just stay awake. Rather than falling asleep because there's no hurry. Stay awake to your hope. It's like Christ said in Mark chapter 13, where he spends an entire chapter talking about the future and about his second coming. And here's how he applies all that teaching. Number one on our list, Mark 13, 33, be on your guard, he says, keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to, above all things, to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. (laughs) For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all. He's speaking to us today. Stay awake. I don't know about you, but I think he wants us to remember something. And that's why it's the first of the seven secrets of living with vitality in light of eternity. We've got it on good authority. And that is to keep our eyes wide open. 
This is the first and really, in a lot of ways, the hardest secret to put into practice because we're like sheep. We so easily fall asleep. We so easily get wrapped up in the nine to five. We so easily do all these wonderful things in Summit County living like there's no tomorrow. It's very seductive. And before I tell you how to avoid it, I want to give you a feel for why it's so easy to fall asleep, so hard to stay awake, to give you a feel for what we need to rouse ourselves from. I'd like you to listen to a voice in a bit, a song, a beautiful song, a touching melody with lyrics that sometimes express a noble sentiment, as you're going to see. It's a song that's moved me over the years in spite of myself. (laughs) But under it all, it's one that's kept a whole generation fast asleep. And there's a lesson there. Listen, and you will learn what to look out for.
asleep yet? That puts to words, to music, the seduction that we're up against. In some ways, he's right. We need to be dreamers today. We need movements that create a better tomorrow. We need to set aside our petty differences, to meet halfway, to sacrifice today for the sake of the future. John Lennon was created in the image of God, and so he had some noble sentiments. But he was also a very fallen man, like all of us, and without Christ. And so under it all, he was sadly mistaken. Those sentiments are laced with untruth. They're based on untruth. And that song has become kind of, you know, a sugar-coated narcotic. Imagine all the people living for today. Well, he's right. That's not hard to do because that's what so many are doing, right? They're living for today as though there's no tomorrow. Imagine nothing to die for. huh? Well, then there's nothing really worth living for. Nothing's worth living for if it's not worth dying for. That's the Christian faith. It's a fool's paradise he's asking us to imagine. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try, which is just the point. (laughs) That's precisely the problem. It's so easy. You hardly have to try. Even as a Christian, you just drift off into this life as though there's no tomorrow. You don't have to work very hard at all at forgetting what we've been talking about for the last eight weeks. No heaven, no hell, no hurry. This song is kind of like the hum of our humdrum lives, the the siren voices of this harlot culture that we live in that puts us to sleep, the fog of a fallen world that puts us to sleep to all but, you know, what's entertaining us at the moment. There's nothing new under the sun, and so it's no wonder that Christ said to his disciples, above everything else, under and through everything else, be on guard, keep awake. And what I say to you, I say to all, to all of us, 2,000 years later, stay awake. So how do you do that? How do you live for eternity every day of your life? How do you wake up from, you know, kind of the la-la land of the American dream of, of our own imagining? Well, the first thing is this. It's hard to stay awake on our own, so much so that he has got to keep us awake. Christ has to keep us awake, and he does it in good part by allowing trials and tribulations into our lives when we seek him out of that pain like we'd never seek him if things were well. Pain and suffering until it feels like maybe you can't take it a minute longer. Maybe that's what you're experiencing right now. Without that kind of regular discipline from a loving father, we'd be, we'd, we'd be spiritual zombies, right? Living in a dream world, a fool's paradise, as though there's no heaven or hell and no religion too. Nothing worth living for because there's nothing worth dying for. It's like Martin Luther said, without the cross of suffering, the soul becomes languid and tepid. It ceases to long for him and does not thirst for him. If life is too good, we'll cease longing for the beloved heart of our blessed hope to be with Christ forever. That's why some of the greatest songs on heaven came from uh, African-American slaves who were, you know, far from spiritual zombies thanks to their slavery, thanks to their cross of suffering. Remember some of those songs? Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. That's what's, that's why I'm hanging on. I'll fly away, O glory, I'll fly away. You know, a while back I learned the same lesson from some uh, other Africans. I'll never forget preaching on heaven in Mali, Africa. 
Julie's brother, Brian, was a missionary there for 15 years or so, and we took a family missions trip that, uh, back in 2000. We flew to the capital city, Bamako. Then our car broke down on the way to Kutiala, where Brian lived, so we had to get off in the middle of nowhere. You know, there was one tree uh, in sight for miles, and we went under that tree. This land is being taken over by the Sahara Desert. And while we were waiting, this, this old geezer of a goat herder <laughs> came up and started talking to Brian. Brian understood Bam, uh, Bambara, so uh, he, could, he started translating it for us. He said that the man was offering three goats for our daughter, Rachel, <laughs> for, for her hand in marriage, who, by the way, was 11 years old at the time. And I'm telling you, her eyes turned wide as saucers, and she saddled up next to her father. And then Brian said, after a bit, I just bargained with him, and he said he'd take her for four goats. Brian's a real joker, but Rachel did not think that was very funny at the time. She does now, but... Well, we ended up in this village in the middle of nowhere. The villagers were gathered around us on the ground in front of this old mud hut. And um, we, we, we had, I had to have two translators, one to go from English, my speaking, to French, which is the language of commerce there, and then from French into Bambara, which is the local tribal language, which is great, by the way, because if you do the math, you only have to prepare 10 minutes worth of material for a 30-minute message. I thought, how in the world am I ever going to relate to these people? And I prayed and prayed, and finally I said, well, I think I'll speak on heaven. There's not much else you can talk about down here. And I'm telling you, I have never captured the attention of anyone here in the States like heaven captured their attention. Years later, I preached on heaven again in Haiti three years ago. And the same thing happened. You could have heard a pin drop. You, you, could, you, you could see the tears dropping. I went back to Haiti with our medical missions team just this last February. It had been three years since they heard that sermon, but three years later, two or three came up to me and told me how deeply it had impacted their lives. And I saw what Christ meant when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They can make live contact with what's invisible. You can see the kingdom in their eyes, in in their glistening, tear-filled eyes. And if that's true, then we are, in fact, these days in America, becoming richer and richer as we go into what might be a double-dip recession. Who knows? And who knows what else? Maybe that's why this series on heaven has been so well-received this summer, not because of me, but because of the times. You see, in every generation, God has woken up His people. He's disrupted their comfortable lives. He's emptied them so that they could be filled with Him, with the hope of heaven, rather than being so earthbound, you know, filled with all our things. At one point or another, in every generation, He's put His people on the edge of their seats, which is a pretty uncomfortable place to be, but it's where we need to stay. And he's doing it again in our day. He knows we'll not long much for heaven or for him without some maybe hell on earth. So we go from hell last week to hell on earth this week. And so at one time or another, every generation since the first century, looking at the signs of the times, has thought that theirs might be the last generation. And they weren't wrong. No, that's what God wants us to feel, to stay awake. Because we don't know when he's going to come. And the signs of his coming predicted in the Bible have never more closely matched uh, what we're seeing today. And I don't know about you, but that kind of wakes me up. That kind of makes me really interested in what's going to happen after all of this. 
How should I then live in light of all this, all these signs? Well, we're going to talk about some of those signs today so we can satisfy the number one way to live with vitality in light of eternity um, by staying awake, by seeing that it's just not true that there's no hurry. Because now more than ever, His coming could be just right around the corner. How do we know that? Let me just list a few ways. The Scripture says that in various places there will be many earthquakes before His coming. This, uh, this is dated just this last Wednesday, USA Today. Some of you, I'm sure, know of this. Millions of Americans from Georgia to Canada were jolted Tuesday, that's last week, by the most powerful earthquake to hit that region in decades. The Washington Monument was closed indefinitely after engineers found cracks at the top. You're telling me the Washington Monument? That's getting pretty close to home. The central tower of the Washington National Cathedral The highest point in Washington, D.C., suffered serious damage from the quake. The cathedral was damaged to the tune of millions of dollars. Then listen to this, Detroit, AP. Michigan residents hundreds of miles away felt the distant rubble, uh, rumble of the 5.8 magnitude earthquake that shook Washington, D.C. Thursday after, Tuesday afternoon. And you know what happened in Colorado just the day before that? New York Times, Tuesday, August 23rd, rare strong earthquake hits Denver. Denver, the largest natural earthquake in Colorado in more than a century, struck Monday night in the state's southeast corner. And you know what happened in in the San Francisco Bay Area on the same day that the quake hit Washington, D.C.? U.S. Geological Service said a magnitude 3.6 earthquake struck at about 11.36 Pacific Daylight Time on Tuesday. The ground shook in America just last week. From the East Coast to the West Coast, from sea to shining sea, they could feel it. You'd almost think someone's trying to get our attention. Wouldn't that be the safest bet? Rather than just say it's all coincidental? To wake us up by this shot across the bow, by some gentle shakes compared to what they could be and what it may be one day will be when the big one hits California? All these uncanny things are happening all over the world. And He wants us to respond in a certain way and not bury our heads in the ground or not call it out for what it might be because we're afraid of what other people will think. These black swan events, as they're calling them. Speaking of Haiti, remember that earthquake? Remember the Christchurch quake just 10 months ago? Here's what's been happening since the quake. New York Times, Sunday, July 24th, 2011. Aftershocks keep quake-ravaged city in limbo land. This was just two months ago that they're reporting. Christchurch, New Zealand. The once bustling business district here resembles a wasteland. There have been more than 7,300 aftershocks, including an especially bad one in February that killed 181 people. The repeated shocking has knocked the city, New Zealand's second largest, to its knees and kept it there. Interesting analogy. Knocked it to its knees. Repeatedly frustrating efforts to get the rebuilding started. The series of quakes has become the costliest disaster in New Zealand history. The Bible says that before the coming of Christ, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring of the sea, it says, and by strange tides. That's Luke 21, 25 by maybe tsunamis, like happened in Japan, and hurricanes. Need I mention Hurricane Irene, which is pounding New York City even as I speak? The first hurricane of its kind since 1903, 
The storm's winds and clouds are extending twice as far as normal. It forced much of the East Coast into what the New York Times called unprecedented lockdowns. At the very time that the East Coast was already soaked by unprecedented rains this spring, so there's nowhere for the water to go but higher. To stay longer, higher. Could have been a whole lot worse. Maybe another shot across the bow that we change our wicked ways. Is it true that there's no hurry? Bear with me, I'm going with this to a very important place. The Bible says that the nations will be in turmoil before the coming of the Lord, perplexed by roaring seas and strange tides. Strange tides like storm surges that accompany hurricanes. According to the Times, those officials said the central concern was the storm surge of Hurricane Irene, slow-moving as it was. The deluge to be dumped from the sky or thrown onto shore by violent waves moving like snapped towels. The Bible says that in various places there will be many famines before the coming of Christ. Speaking of Mali, Africa, Haiti. Somalia, to name a few, and even in America now, as most of you know, we are approaching dust bowl conditions in the south. Remember the billowing dust that spread across the plains during those dust bowl years back in the 20s and 30s during the Great Depression that took place after the roaring 20s when they were partying in their fool's paradise? How did God wake them up? Remember what happened just a few days ago during this Great Recession? as we're calling it, after the roaring 90s and the first years of this new century when we were binging on debt as though there were no tomorrow, party hardy. Phoenix, AP, August 21st, just last week, 2011, a giant wall of dust rolled through the Phoenix area on Thursday for the third time since early July. It brought, out, it brought a mile-high wall of dust. They called this a disaster of biblical proportions. Interesting choice of words. A mile-high wall of dust that halted airline flights, knocked out power for 10,000 people, and covered everything in its past with a thick sheet of dust. We know that in various places there will be famines before the coming of Christ, but it's not just now in Africa or India or Asia. It could very well be here. Time Magazine, August 9th, 2011. Headline, Drought Cripples South. Why the creeping disaster across 14 states could get a whole lot worse. Listen to this. This time it could be different. It says, even in the worst of the droughts in human history, there's evidence that the good years may be behind us. The Southwest in particular has a history over the past two millennia of mega droughts that lasted for decades. Deeper into the geological past, dust bowls endured for centuries. And the driest regions are also the ones that have grown the fastest over the years. Here's how the Associated Press summed it all up. Washington AP. It was a spring to remember, to put it mildly with America pummeled by tornadoes, floods, wildfires, snow melt, thunderstorms, and drought. While similar extremes have occurred throughout American history, never before have they occurred in a single month. Are you awake yet? Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do, right? That's, how we, that's the safest response. No, you're not awake? Okay, I'll keep going, no problem. Just one more. There are many others. The Bible says that there will be strange events in the skies. 
before the coming of Christ. Signs, it says, in the sun and moon and stars. The stars? How could there possibly be signs in the stars, you might wonder? USA Today, June 17th, just a few months ago, 2011. Rare cosmic blast traced to black hole. On March 28th of this year, NASA's SWIFT satellite first noted an outburst of invisible radiation, a gamma-ray burst, one of the most powerful explosions in the universe. Such blasts, thought to result from the explosion of massive stars, are regularly detected and usually die away within minutes. But this one continues today, three months later. In its first two days, scientists reported in Thursday's edition of the Journal of Science, the intensity of the outburst measured 100 billion suns. That makes it one of the most intense cosmic explosions ever witnessed by astronomers. And get this, says astronomer Josh Bloom of the University of California, Berkeley, lead author of one of the two studies on the outburst, and I quote, this is probably the first time mankind has ever seen a phenomenon like this. Let's start putting two and two together. Does that qualify as a sign in the stars? It's just like happens in every generation, but now far more than ever. There's so much more, but thank goodness we must move on. See what I mean? It it all kind of wakes you up, doesn't it? And if it doesn't wake you up, you're in a very deep sleep. It's kind of a rude awakening. You can't exactly just, you know, imagine all these things away as though you were John Lennon. Though you might want to. More and more, it's harder and harder to live in this, uh, the dreamland of no heaven, no hell, no religion, nothing worth dying for, nothing worth living for, no hurry. You can't live on those kinds of values at times like these. And God's waking us up to that reality. And the question is this, are you ready? How do you get ready? How do you live with vitality and light of eternity? Well, again, first of all, under and through and over it all, you need to wake up. And I do too, and to stay awake. It's kind of like what Aslan in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia told Lucy before she went back to the earth after having been with him in heaven. Listen to what he said. Stand still. In a moment, I will blow you back. But first, remember, remember, remember the signs. Say them to yourself when you wake in the morning and when you lie down at night and when you wake in the middle of the night. And whenever strange things may happen to you, whatever they may be, let nothing turn your mind from following the signs. And secondly, I give you a warning. Here on the mountain, I have spoken to you clearly. And maybe here on this mountain, you've been spoken to clearly from God's Word. I will not often do that down in Narnia. Here on the mountain, the air is clear and your mind is clear. As you drop down into Narnia, the air will thicken. Take great care that it does not confuse your mind. Pay no attention to appearances. Remember the signs and believe the signs. Nothing else matters. And now, daughter of Eve, farewell. How do you live with vitality and light of eternity? First, stay awake. Second, well, that'll have to wait till next week. <laughs> Sorry about that, but we'll, we'll complete our amphitheater season uh, next week with the other six. If you're visiting and you won't be here next week, just go to dillonchurch.org if you want to hear the podcast. That's www.dillonchurch.org. But let me give you a sneak preview. Again, first and foremost, stay awake. Second, 
Don't head for the hills. No, plant your apple tree today. And we'll see what that means. Third, put your eggs in the right basket. Fourth, make the most of your time. Fifth, be anchored in your soul. Sixth, look up. Hold your head high. Those are Christ's words. And last but not least, number seven, listen to this. Be among the great hearts that will patrol the roads. Be among the great hearts that will patrol the roads, which will lead us the week after next right into our theme here at Dillon Community Church for this next ministry year starting September 11th. Interesting date. And that is this, like our vision says, for this whole year, we're going to be going passionately as never before, sharing Christ in word and deed in Summit County and the world as great hearts that patrol the roads. Just like those African-American slaves had such great hearts who gave such great songs to keep us focused on heaven as we patrol the roads. Such songs, such spirituals as we call them, are another thing that can keep us awake. So I'd like to close with one that will get you on your feet. In fact, why don't you get on your feet right now? I I can tell some of you are still sleeping. This is the opposite of the song (laughs) that uh, we began with. It's not full of utopian dreams and ideals that put you to sleep. No, it's a song that's based on a robust understanding of the hope that's like a shot in the arm. It's not a narcotic of half-truths and whole lies. No, it's a healthy dose of spiritual adrenaline that you can live on. If you're not a follower of Christ, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. But if you know Christ as your Savior, with whom you'll be forever, you've got something that's worth dying for. And you can stand up in the face of all that we've been talking about today without glossing any of it over, eyes wide open to it all, and you can say, ain't no grave going to hold me down. Amen? And that's all that matters. This is a modern rendering of that great African-American spiritual, Ain't No Grave. It's sung by Jason and Adam Crabb along with Selah. And kids, I think you're going to like this one.
Have a seat. You can go back to sleep again. We decided to turn up to the volume to about the level that is going on in the world around us, right? We need that kind of volume. We need that kind of go for it that we get from our hope to be great hearts that uh, patrol the roads. Now, one of the things that we, one of the ways we patrol the roads around here is through our benevolence offering. And God's really used it in these hard times. So it goes to the needy, both the needy in our church as well as our community. And so we're going to close this service today. Frank, if you could come down. Frank Butler, one of our former elders, will be telling us a few things about it. And ushers, you can uh, come down as well. And uh, please, as you are led of the Lord, please uh, give generously. Good morning. The Lord said uh, to his disciples, pray like this. 
Our Father who is in the heavens, give us our daily bread. And daily bread has a, a very broad meaning. There are many today who are troubled with receiving their daily bread. And this offering, this morning, we take once a month. It is the only funding for our benevolence committee, our benevolence ministry. We have a team of folks who meet on uh, Tuesday afternoons, and they receive requests from the from the community, from our church fellowship, and they pray over those, they meet with the folks, and with the help of God decide how to help them. Sometimes we uh, don't do what they request. We do what God leads us to do. Recently, we had a person who came who couldn't make their uh, mortgage payments, they couldn't make their energy, energy bill payments, what we did was to repair their rental so that they had additional income. And now they, hopefully, are receiving their daily bread. So I ask you all, as this basket passes, please consider what you have to spare and place it in there and pray for us. Pray the prayer, our Father, give us this day our daily bread. Thank you very much. Well, let's all stand together. In light of all these things, if you know Christ as your Savior, you can go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen and amen. Don't forget the congregational meeting. Thank you all for coming.